Pastor Xavier Reese explains how following modern trends risk committing a spiritual faux pas. Scripture transcends culture and fashions. Very important. We try to solve church things through culture today. That's why the church is so PC. It's so messed up. They're accommodating to the culture. It's called the Church of Laodicea. Lukewarm. God says, Ding! I'll spit you out. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Scripture warns believers that Satan is the author of confusion. And so when the women of the early church at Corinth sought to exercise freedom in their public worship, the enemy was all too quick to misinterpret their liberties as a dishonor to God's principles for order in the church. Pastor Xavier clarifies some important and relevant simple truths of submission and authority with today's intriguing study. Let's listen. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're going to look at verses 2 through 16, and the message is entitled, Corinthian Women in Public Worship. Again, the problem Paul is facing is one of women who are refusing to wear their veils in public worship, bringing reproach and shame to their husbands, as well as their families in the church. A veil was a sign of um, modesty and uh, submission. Only the prostitutes of Corinth left their veils off and cut their hair real short. Let's begin here with the truths formulated about the cultural problem. Look at verse 3. The Apostle Paul communicated God's priority of honor by the principle of authority and submission. Don't miss it. Paul begins with the headship of Jesus over every man. The first level of corresponding, and here's the goal, honor. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The article is present here. The head, indicating the supreme ruler with the idea of superiority. Christ is supreme. Supreme authority. Okay? Now Paul stated the headship of man over the woman, the second level of corresponding honor here. The head of woman is man. Once again, the figure of head is used for the sense of authority over the other. The interesting thing is that there is no article in the Greek, like there is for the headship of Christ over the man. And this is important. This omission of the article means that the man is not the head of the woman in the same sense that Christ is to the man. Christ is supreme. The man is not supreme. He's sinful. He can make mistakes. He's not God. The authority of the man is delegated authority to direct, care, and protect his wife. Alright? Not superior to the woman, but nevertheless, the authority over the woman. But as the loving type of Christ. Ephesians 5. Now notice Paul stated the headship of God over Christ. The third level of corresponding honor. And the head of Christ is God. Once again, the article is missing, revealing that God the Father is not head over Christ in the same way that Christ is head over the man. The Father is not superior to the Son in authority. Both are God. Both are all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. But Christ submitted himself willingly and lovingly for the sake of the efficiency of salvation and redemption of man. The chain of command 
based on authority and submission has nothing to do with inferior, but has everything to do with effectiveness. First, for the orderly and effectiveness of family life. It goes all the way back to Genesis. He's going to pull up Genesis. Second, for order of society at large. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you cannot ignore these two principles. They exist in everything that is productive and effective. Someone has the authority, someone carries it out. Sometimes you give the orders, sometimes you carry out the orders. You wear different hats in society, you understand? You remove these things, you have utter confusion, ineptness. But the focus of the headship of all three levels is honor by recognizing and respecting the authority. Are we clear? Real simple. Now, look at 4 and 5. The Apostle Paul correlated the principle of honoring the authority of one's headship to the cultural problem at Corinth. Paul concluded that since Christ is the head of man, a man should not cover his head. Every man praying or prophesying having his head covered dishonors his head. The man is in public worship of the church. This is the context. The man is praying. The man is prophesying. The man, if he covered his head, would be dishonoring his own headship as a man in his head, Christ. The man, by covering his head, makes a woman of himself by acting as if he has a human head over him apart from Christ. The man has no other head over him except Christ. Simple. Jewish men would cover their heads in the synagogue. Christian men were to not cover their head. Christianity is not an extension of Judaism. Look at 5. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For this is one and the same as if her head were shaved. The woman in the public worship of the church again is the context. She is praying. She is prophesying. The woman, if she does not cover her head, would be dishonoring her head. Shaming her own person and her husband. Taking honor that is not hers, resulting in shame to her. Simple. The Christian woman, by not covering her head with a veil, would be confused for a prostitute of the temple, dishonoring her husband, her head. The woman not covering her head with a veil would be viewed by people as if she were shaved. Prostitutes would shave their head, the corns at times, and adulterous women would be shaven for their crime. So the implication culturally is very pertinent. You don't want to be mistaken for a prostitute or an adulteress, right? In verse 6, the Apostle Paul presented his first argument from the standpoint that a woman had two options based on the truths he had stated. Paul declared the first option is to shave the woman's head. For if a woman has, is not covered, let her also be shorn. Now this would bring dishonor to her and her husband, shame and disgrace. Now notice still in 6, Paul declared the second option is to cover her head. But if... It is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved. Let her be covered. It's one or the other. 
Now look at 7 through 10. The Apostle Paul presented his second argument from the standpoint of the creation of man and woman. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. He reaffirms the man is to not cover his head due to the fact that he would be hiding the direct image and glory of God that he bears from creation and having been given the authority over the woman to care for her, to protect her, to love her. Eve bore the direct glory of Adam, being created after Adam a lesser honor than Adam, not inferior, different and lesser honor. Adam was the glory of God. Eve was the glory of Adam. Okay? Look at 9. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. Now, this is where women's lip goes, Wow! Right away, you think submission, inferiority. No. Because this is not what the Bible teaches. The first word, man, has no article indicating any man. But the first word, woman, has the article indicating Eve. Eve was created for Adam. For God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him, Genesis 2.18. Eve was brought to Adam by God, Genesis 2.22. And Adam said, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken out of man, Genesis 2.23. Paul is resolving a cultural trendy problem by going to the scriptures. Scripture transcends culture and fashions. Very important. We try to solve church things through culture today. That's why the church is so PC. It's so liberal. It's so messed up. Because they're not going to the word to solve the problems. They're going to culture. They're accommodating to the culture. It's called the church of Laodicea. Lukewarm. God says, ding, I'll spit you out. Simple. Look at 10. God declared his final conclusion about the woman veiling her head. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Now, he stated the reason was based on the purpose of God for creating the woman for man. Not as some slave or inferior person, but one to complement and complete the man. Not as a sex object, but for companionship and community by the procreation of children that would bind them more together and continue the human race. Now notice he stated the woman would veil her head in public worship. The word ought is the same as in verse 7, indicating obligation, having the idea of duty again, by design. The veil is indicated by the word authority, referring to her submissive obedience to honor her husband, who is her head. He stated a second reason, because of the angels. Now, this people have a field day in this, all kinds of interpretations. But let's keep it simple. 
The context is creation, God's honor, God's glory, right? He just quoted the creation of Adam and Eve, right? The angels were there, by the way. Do you know that at creation? They were there? All of it? And they heard what God commanded, the design and order of God. And the angels simply are here witnessing the things of God and the people of God among them by the church of God to see if those things are carried out. Simple. They want to see the glory and honor of God. They want to see the will of God carried out. That's all. That's all it's saying. This simply states that the angels are witnesses of the activity of the Christian body and the church. Paul, in fact, and Peter both say that angels are witnessing the saints in the church right now. Ephesians 3.10 Their ministry spirits to their salvation. Hebrews 1.14 First Peter 1.12 says that the angels stoop down to observe what's going on because angels aren't all-knowing and they're looking at what's happening, what's unfolding one day at a time. Paul already said in 1 Corinthians 3.9 We have been made the spectacle to the world both to angels and to men. The angels are checking out what's going on here in the world among the people of God in the church. Simple. Now, Verse 11 and 12. The Apostle Paul did not want anyone to misunderstand him as teaching the woman was in some way inferior to the man. He already knows. Look at 11. Paul stated both the man and the woman are interdependent. They need one another. Nevertheless, neither is the man independent of the woman nor the woman independent of the man. Here's the qualifier. Ready? In the Lord. Don't try to apply this to people who don't know the Lord. If you're a non-believer, I'll cut you some slack. I understand. I used to be there. In the Lord, a woman makes a better man and a woman is the weaker vessel. No woman can exist apart or without the man in the Lord. The man protects the woman, cares for the woman. The man is the weak vessel. Both of them together make a strong vessel. Both are created for the opposite sex. For the honor and glory of God. For the honor and glory of the woman and the man. Being interdependent, we need one another. Simple. The principle of authority and submission is always for order, effectiveness, and productivity. Nowhere in, is this principle so evident and necessary as in the Christian home. Between a husband and wife, Ephesians chapter 5, 21 through 33. Both in submission to God, in the fear of God. But the woman in submission to her husband, everything that is scriptural. And the husband being the head of the wife is Christ, the head of the church, the savior of the body. Now notice the apostle Paul now brought to a close the answer to the cultural problem of the women not wearing their veils to honor their husbands in the public worship by calling for their answer to the matter. Verse 13. Judge among yourselves. He called for them to examine the evidence he had presented from creation by the word judge. To examine, scrutinize, determine for themselves. Paul stated the rhetorical question that led them to the correct answer. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? He knew the only answer is no. 
He indicated the specific context as he did before, praying and prophesying, uncovered in the public worship. And the answer stands or falls on one word, proper, proper. In 14 and 15, the Apostle Paul called the witness of nature to confirm his evidence as his closing illustration. It's a vivid illustration. Paul stated the witness of nature regarding the man in a twofold rhetorical question, both having only one answer. Yes. Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? Notice he stated the question rhetorically. And it pointed to the law of nature that was and still is present today. It's still in effect. The usual and universal evidence about men is that they have shorter hair than women. It's universally. But Paul certainly is not indicating short hair for men like for today. Above your ears and high and tight. In those days... Men's hair was probably to their shoulders. Women was down here to their waist. Simple. There are always movements, fashion movements, personal expression, or whatever it may be, that are not the norm. But the norm across history, in every culture, men's hair is shorter than women. Simple. Though there are exceptions. During the 60s, you know, everybody grew their hair. You see, here again, he pointed out the usual of nature. The man would bear the appearance of a woman. You're walking in the mall. And far away, you see this long, dark hair flowing. (laughs) And you're a distance away. Catches your eye. First thing in your mind, and that's a chick. But it isn't, it's a rooster. Okay? He could be mistaken for a woman. Now, Paul stated the witness of nature regarding the woman also, that she would cover her head in public worship. He pointed out the flip side of the witness of nature that is still true to the present also. But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory, not her glory. It is a glory to her. A woman with long hair is natural. In fact, expected and demanded in some cultures. A woman's hair is a glory, doxa, her splendor, attraction, an eye catcher. Now he pointed out the purpose of her hair by nature. Notice, for her hair is given to her for a covering. A woman's hair is given to her for a covering. And the word given there is in the perfect passive. Has been, thus, and still is given to her by nature. A covering, that which is thrown around, wrapped around her hair. Therefore, nature provides a natural covering for the woman. It is proper for a woman to veil herself during public worship. There's the parallel correlation. You understand? We don't get it because it's a cultural thing. Paul closes the entire matter. But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. The ones indicated are contentious, fond of strife, quarrelsome, argumentative for mere debate. 
found only this time in this form in the New Testament. Paul, Silas, and Timothy were not given to contentiousness, quarreling, or striving. Neither should we. You want to address issues? You give the evidence? You leave it there. We want to give an answer to every man for the reason the hope likes in us with meekness and fear. But I don't want to be contentious. And there's no such custom of this veil thing. It's a cultural thing. Understand? The problem is cultural. To Corinth. The literal application then of women wearing veils today in the church would be wrong. Because we don't have the local problem of the temple of Aphrodite and the prostitutes of Aphrodite. Again, I mentioned we still have prostitutes, but not the temple of Aphrodite. So that is not effective in our society. But the principle is, so we would apply it as such as women, honor your husbands in everything you do, in dress, in speech, the way you raise your children, how you run your home, how you conduct yourself in the church, in modesty, propriety. And grace. How often have you seen a wife of a man or a husband of a wife and after you get done talking to say, man, she's got it bad. Feel sorry for them. Right? Because they're not a good representative of a husband or a wife. 1 Corinthians 10.31 brings it right down to the basics. Listen carefully. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. How do you do that? By knowing the word of God. That's all. God uses and desires to use women in the church. Lest you think that God hates women, uh, let me give you some names. Phoebe, the servant of the church in Crea, was used by God. Priscilla and Aquila, a married couple, always mentioned together. He's a covering for his wife. Tryphena and Tryphosa, who labored in the Lord. Lydia ministered unto Paul and Silas. Philippi. Christ appeared to the women first in the resurrection and gave them the message. Abigail appeared, uh, stopped David from avenging himself and God used her. Deborah was used as one of the judges to deliver Israel because the men were a bunch of wimps. Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, 8 through 10 that the women are to present themselves in modest apparel appropriate, but he desires that men lift holy hands in the church, that the church be run by the headship of men. Too many churches are run by women. Too many homes are run by women in the Christian community. And that's a big problem. If we do it God's way, ladies and gentlemen, it works. It's the best. There's no power trip. There's nothing. God made the male and female as compliments of creation, not for competition. God has a position for the woman under the man to protect her, to care for her. God has a purpose for her to complete the man, to be his helpmate. God places a high value on her by placing authority and power over her to be protected, provided for, and cared for, to be presented before Christ without spot, blemish, or any such thing. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians 5.21-23, Submitting to one another in the fear of God, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. An amazing parallel found nowhere else in scripture. But it's a headship that serves. 
Pastor Xavier Reese, illustrating with the Corinthian Church the divine harmony and simple truths of proper submission and authority within the family of God. Now, if you've missed any part of this important study, or perhaps wish to pass it along to a friend, you can request a copy, and it's simply titled, Corinthian Women in Public Worship. It's available on CD for just $4. By the way, this important message will contain everything that Pastor Xavier shared last time as well. The title to ask for once again is, Corinthian Women in Public Worship, or simply mention today's date when you write, Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for including the call letters of this station when you contact us. God works in distinctive and diverse supernatural ways, incorporating the gifts of His people. Next time, join Pastor Xavier Reese in discovering the simple truths of how unity is magnified by the diversity in the church. Hope to see you then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 